Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast, the official podcast of FilmPulse.net. Thank you so much for listening. This is episode number 157. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today we have Mr. Kevin Rakestraw. How you doing, Kevin? Doing pretty good. This week we have three reviews lined up for you with the, with the indie comedy Wild Canaries, the Western, The Salvation, and David Cronenberg's latest Maps to the Stars. We'll also be talking about some of what we've been watching, and of course we'll be going over this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand, and DVD and Blu-ray releases. Remember you can send us your questions to podcast at filmpulse.net, or leave us a comment on the site. We'd love to hear from you. Now, Kevin, actually we didn't talk about the Oscars, because we recorded last Sunday morning before the Oscars took place. So oh, yeah, that's right. I was thinking maybe we could just little, briefly... Little, Os- little Oscar chat. Yeah, just have a real brief Oscar chat real quick. What did you think of the overall... Did you see the Oscars, first of all? <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. Didn't okay. watch it. Uh, I kind of know some of the winners. Um, I I just I found myself increasingly over the years just completely uninterested in mm-hmm, awards. Mm-hmm. Just all types of awards, especially the Independent Spirit Awards, which used to be the only thing that I was really into. Yeah, well, but now this... it's just like in a weird mix of Golden Globes and Oscars now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say that that was another awards show that took place uh, since we recorded last week is the Independent Spirit Awards. I believe Birdman pretty much took home everything. Yeah, I mean, come in, on. in that one, which again, I don't think I even consider that an independent film. No, it's not. I, I mean, think that the they're... only thing that I look forward to independent spirit awards is the casabetes award and i forget what the other one's called like the one to watch or something like that yeah the someone to watch well they also have the best first feature and best first screenplay those are usually interesting i know but it's so disappointing that the actual independent films are regulated to like bottom of the pile yeah, where it, it used to be all about you guys, but now even at your own <laughs> award ceremony, you're like the live action short award winner of the Oscars now. Yeah, yep, that's unfortunate. I think that they should do. I've said this before on the show. I think that they should lower the cap for um, budget. the 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 budget limit should be should be lower. Is there even a budget limit? <laughs> I mean, there is there is because they they didn't allow um, they didn't allow Inherent Vice to compete okay. because they said it was just the budget was too high. So okay. there is some sort of budget cap, but I think that it should certainly be lower. Um, hmm. I, I think that they just need to use better judgment. But I also believe that they're picking these types of movies to earn more uh, earn higher ratings. Well, obviously, obviously. yeah. Obviously. Because if it's all movies that nobody's ever heard of, then not that many people are going to tune in. But that shouldn't matter. It's a, it's the Independent I, Spirit yeah. Awards. It's, it's a non-profit. Film Independent is a non-profit organization that's funded by its members. So really, it shouldn't matter. shouldn't, but it always does. If I'm a paying member of Film Independent, which is like 100 bucks a year, I should. I think that the movies should be independent Truly independent films. Should be. At any rate, uh, the big winner at the Oscars was obviously Birdman. It uh, took home Best Picture and Best Director. Eddie Redmayne got 
uh, lead actor. Julianne Moore got lead actress. Cinematography went to Birdman. Mm. Uh, mm. I thought that overall, I was. I thought that the the show itself was fine until towards the end when they started giving out the big awards and I started disagreeing with everything. <laughs> You're just getting really pissed off. Yeah. yeah. Is that where, is that where you found yourself? Overall though, I thought yeah, the the award show itself I thought was fine. You know, wasn't it like some years it's, it was just a complete train wreck, but this year I thought it was, you know, they made they made fun of each other, good uh, made fun of themselves rather a good bit uh, with the Lego movie not being nominated. They pointed that out. They pointed out the the lack of diversity in their nominees. They kind of made fun of that. They, I think they tried to overcompensate a little bit by having the presenters be like 90% of, of color. So, <laughs> Oh my. Might have been a little overcompensation there, but yeah, whatever. <clears throat> Yeah, it sounds like a train wreck to me. It was. It was like three and a half hours long, too. Oh, it was, my goodness. <laughs> it, was, it just kept going on and on. Mm. But there wasn't a whole lot of filler. Some some years they do like a lot of musical numbers and stuff to pad it out to be completely unnecessarily long. And then, just, and then, I, I heard a decent number of people were played off. Well, interestingly, this year they would do the music right to play somebody off and then they would stop it and then they would keep talking and then they would try to play them off again like it was weird how they did it this year that's like that's the only interesting thing when it comes to the oscars i just want to see the back and forth i feel like people giving their speeches and the other people trying to play them off to speed things up i feel like this year they gave people a little bit longer time it's tough though because you do have time constraints that you have to work with yeah because there's no reason that the oscars should be close to four hours long but also like i I said there was very little filler they the only filler they did was uh obviously the commercial breaks and they did musical performances for each of the nominated songs which they always do that Mm -hmm. and which the uh everything is awesome performance was very very cool was it awesome it was. I was going to say very awesome, but I decided not to go with it. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you. I just they did. They One thing that lengthened it was they did a, a big tribute to The Sound of Music with Lady Gaga doing kind of a... Uh, it was like a, a medley of songs from The Sound of Music, which actually, okay. it sounds like it would be horrible, but it was actually pretty damn good, I must say. And I'm not, I don't even like Lady Gaga. I don't have anything against Lady Gaga. She's all right in my book. I just don't. I'm just not a big fan of her music. I don't. I don't really care that she's weird or whatever. I've heard two songs from her. I only know two songs. Plus, she's in Lancaster all the time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's odd. She's been, she's been spotted numerous times. She's dating a guy from here. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So she pops up occasionally. Well, there you go. So anyway, overall, Oscars uh, pretty much exactly what I expected. Maybe a little bit better on the production side of it as far as the look um, presentation, but the winners, uh, pretty predictable. Mm-hmm. Extreme, extremely predictable. <laughs> Boy, were they. Same with uh, the Independent Spirit Awards. Pretty lackluster in my in my opinion. Without a doubt. I just I don't care about any of this stuff anymore. They need to do like what they do with film fe- certain film festivals like Slamdance. Like, Slamdance has a very strict budget limit for for 
films that they present, and I think also at Slam Dance, you have to be a first-time director. I that think sounds a, about right. I think you have to be a first-time director at Slam Dance, and I'm not saying that that's, that needs to be the case with, with like the Independent Spirit Awards, but definitely the the budget thing. Yeah, but also at the same time, I can I can kind of understand bringing in the the bigger movies for that because it gives a chance for the very small independent filmmakers like a chance to network. So yeah. I can see that working out in their advantage. But at the same time, just as far as awards go, I just don't really care anymore. Well, just, I don't care. Yeah, I don't, I don't care either. Cause it's too commercial, dude. It's too commercial. It's not even that. It's just I, I the whole thing is just odd to me. It's just very odd. Not it's not into like, not into great filmmakers winning awards. It, well, if they actually did, if the great filmmakers were the ones that won the awards, that would be great. Well, but also it's more the, of just studios giving each other reach arounds. Well, with the Oscars, yeah, definitely, especially when yeah. they came out with that that thing that said that most of the voting uh, members of the Academy saw what, like twenty or thirty yeah, movies I mean, or something. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the number one thing that really bothers me is that they, they don't even see most of these movies. It's almost as if they don't give a shit about film in general, yeah. which is what really irritates me. And then it, all of it just becomes like a marketing ploy, with you know people taking out ads for your consideration. Vote for us. And it's just ridiculous. Yep. Yep. All right. So that's enough about that. That enough about them shitty Academy Awards. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. But also, congratulations to everyone that won an Academy Award. Good on you. I think that it is still a big honor, for sure. Mm-hmm. If I was a filmmaker and I got nominated and subsequently won an Oscar, I would still be like, yeah, this is bullshit. The Oscars are bullshit. But at the, I'd be secretly like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. All right. Let's go. I'd do the same thing. Yeah. Of course. (laughs) Of course you would. It's an Oscar. It's still. It still holds a certain amount of prestige to it, even though it's all political and shitty now. It still has this kind of prestige to it. All right. Plus, it's such a great negotiating tool. Oh yeah. I mean, it's. (laughs) I think that is the thing. It's really good for your career. You want to pay me how much? Uh, you know I want an Oscar, right? Excuse me? Uh, I can take a picture of my Oscar that's on my <laughs> counter here and, and show you. I would bring it into every negotiation ever. Yeah, I would have it I, like clipped, clipped to my belt loop. That's what I would do, too. Just carry it with me everywhere I go. Or make it into a necklace. Yeah, make it into a, get a chain. <laughs> Just carry it around. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our first review... Where do you want to start? We've got three very different movies this week. Extremely no, different. There's no, no no connections with these. No. We have a little remnant of the wild thing going on. Uh, let's, let's, what, do we, uh, what, do you, what do we want to do? What do you want to knock out of the park first? Let's start with Maps to the Stars. All right. Let's get rid of this. Let's get it out of the way. <clears throat> so this is directed by David Cronenberg. I have a synopsis here. A tour into the heart of a Hollywood family chasing celebrity, one another, and the relentless ghosts of their pasts. This stars Julianne Moore, Mia Wasikowska, Robert Pattinson, John Cusack. This is a really interesting one for me because after I was done watching it, I I kind of took a moment of self-reflection and I was like, Oh boy. Do I love this movie? 
or do I hate this movie? Because it's one or the other. And I've been struggling <laughs> with it since then. I either love it or I hate it. And I'm thinking I hate it, but <laughs> there, there, there are several things about this movie that I really did like quite a bit. And There's still an outside chance that you love it. Yeah. I, I like Cronenberg's take on the whole Hollywood lifestyle. I, I like that um, these people are just... They're just all kind of caricatures of what, I guess, we perceive Hollywood life being like. Mm -hmm. And I kind of liked how he portrayed that. Now, there's several things, the the ghosts uh, of their past or whatever. Uh, They're literal ghosts in this movie. And I, that I was kind (laughs) of, that I was kind of not really... Uh, so sure about but then I thought hmm, well maybe it's because these kids that are seeing these ghosts uh, are have problems like mental illness yeah. be- because of what their parents did and I don't know how much we should get into that because it's like a pretty big oh the revelation nature of Hollywood right yeah. do you want yes. to cut that out <laughs> no because I think that I think that in several synopses of this movie, it says an exploration of the incestuous nature of Hollywood. I guess maybe people didn't take that literally, but... Yeah, you should. Whatever. Spoiler, (laughs) it's literal. It's the literal incestuous nature of Hollywood. There you go. Um, So, yeah, at first I didn't... I really wasn't on board with the ghost thing, but then I thought, oh, well, uh, maybe it's because they're fucked up because they're inbred. There, I said it. Ooh, Hot take. I don't know if that's a literal hot take. I don't know what that is, actually. Just wanted to say it. Uh, I kind of did the same thing, but mine was a much quicker uh, route to I hate this. <laughs> well, you, but you, again, you saw it before me. You saw it a while ago. So it's just, you, had, you had a little I, while. It's, it's steeped with you for a little while. Yes. Oh, it's, but I pretty much came to that conclusion rather quickly almost while watching it to be honest i was very interested in what you would think because you're more of a cronenberg fan than i am well you're you're much more well versed in cronenberg than i am let's put it that way right but new cronenberg is very different it's very different very different um it's interesting to watch i'll give i'll give you that um but Maps to the Stars, just it really feels like he's going for a low-hanging fruit with this one. I I just don't understand the need to do the whole Hollywood takedown film again. Right, and it's just, yeah. It feels stale to me. And this just felt ridiculous. There and were just a lot. It's kind of sad to be that much of a veteran. You know, in 40 years into your career, you're going to do the whole Hollywood takedown type thing. And it was just, it felt juvenile, really. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of weird, <laughs> a lot of weird shit in this movie. Um, Good, bit. Good bit. I thought a lot of it looked pretty ri- ridiculous. There was some actual special effects work in this movie, and I thought that it looked pretty bad. Uh, there's a, there's like a scene where there's a fire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a little self-inflation. Pushing her into the pool with a Rotan chase lounge. Yes, uh, hilarious. It, was that supposed to be funny? Because I, I found it absolutely hilarious. I don't, I don't know. 
I don't know. It the was... noises that she's making, and then he just pushes her in with the chase lounge. Just, oh my goodness. Yeah, the that I found ridiculous. Cusack's, Cusack in general, I, I thought he was pretty ridiculous in this movie. He felt like a cartoon. A lot of these people felt like cartoon characters. Oh, they're all, for the most part, they're all cartoon characters. It's, for me, it was Julianne Moore was really the cartoonish. Oh, she was... I felt like she was trying to be Lindsay Lohan in this. Oh, yeah, it was it was just rough to watch for me. I just I couldn't And I'm couldn't fairly take it certain seriously. I'm fairly certain Cronenberg wanted them to act that way. But oh, I'm sure. It just for me I was like, oh, uh, this is it just didn't it wasn't working. It wasn't no. it and wasn't that's gelling what, for me. That's that's what I'm saying is you know, he wanted to go over the top with it to be caricatures, to be so cartoonish and he's, you know, just taking jabs at Hollywood left and right. And that's why it felt so juvenile to me because I'm thinking, you know, you're 40 years into your career. Like, you're a, you're almost a household name as an indie director. Like, this just feels ridiculous that you're doing this now. Yeah. It's been done so many times before and so much better, too, that it just felt, it was, it was kind of embarrassing to watch, I thought. A lot of the dialogue was, was rough. Too. I, I wrote down one particular line that made me laugh, and it was Mia Wasikowska was towards the end of the movie, and she goes, you don't have to worry about me starting any more fires. They put my pilot light out. <laughs> <laughs> I was like... <laughs> when that when she said that, I was like, are you serious? Are you, are you fucking serious with this movie? They put my pilot light out. They sure they put did, it out. didn't they? <laughs> Oh boy! They put it out. It's no more. She's no more fires. That's it. <laughs> uh, one uh, other one other thing I wrote down. I just I wrote one other uh, note down here, and that that was Julianne Moore fart. <laughs> was that because what there, she was saving this shit? Yeah, because there was a pretty ridiculous scene where she's constipated and there's an entire scene of her on the toilet talking to Mia Wasikowska and she's just farting the whole time. She sure is. Oh God. I just, I, I couldn't really get into this one. I mean, there's some, the only thing that I really enjoyed with maps to the stars was some of the just unexpected ghost spirits or whatever you want to call them, just popping up out of nowhere. I thought that that was sprinkled in rather well because it, Almost essentially took me, you know, knocked me back every time that it would pop up. And I thought that all those scenes were kind of handled really well. The just the whole atmosphere and feel of those scenes. Mm -hmm. But they were just, you know, it wasn't enough of that. Yeah. And everything outside of it is just, you know, kind of an embarrassing joke. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a, a mishmash of a movie because really the movie follows one family, right? A, a, a couple and their two kids, but it keeps taking the sidestep into Julianne Moore's life. It spends a significant amount of time with her. Yeah. And I was like, okay, wait a minute. Is it supposed to be like kind of a, an ensemble story here where we have like these separate pieces that are all just all linked together, but it doesn't really feel like that either because we spend way more time with, uh, Cusack's family and Mia Wasikowska and the, the shitty little kid. We spend way more time with them and their story, but but a significant amount of time is devoted to Julianne Moore's story as well. Yeah. 
Plus, and I just, could've, I could have, um, you could have cut out the entire Robert Pattinson. Right. Yeah. And there's Fred. that that story too, which is very, very minimal, like almost non-existent. So it adds nothing. Plus, yeah. he's just. Let's be honest. He's he was terrible. I thought he was terrible. He was he was. And I'm just odd. like I'm, I'm starting to like him. Like I'm like, oh, you are actually kind of a decent actor. And then I see this, and I'm like, oh, maybe you're not. Maybe I was wrong. I don't think that was his fault. I think that just the character was. It was a weird character. It's just well, yeah. Odd. There's there's really no need for his character. Just the pacing and how the stories the interconnected stories it wasn't really working for me because there was so much of one and so little of some of the other ones you gotta even it out if that's what you're going Not, for yeah. or nothing nothing gel either e- nothing gel just either even it out or shorten the julianne moore story to you know a, just a, a little sliver just so that we can understand that mia wasikowska is working for her and that she's you know really high maintenance and messed up yeah. We don't need to spend but we she, don't need to spend minutes of her taking a shit. Or do we? No, we don't, Kevin. <laughs> uh I just I yeah. So where does this compare to Cosmopolis for you? Uh much, much lower. Lower than Cosmopolis, okay. Yeah. And I mean I wasn't a big fan of Cosmopolis, but that one was at least engaging, you know, different I thought it was riskier than what this film is again this just feels it feels really juvenile this feels like a movie that he would have made early on in his career and now it just kind of seems you know like he's a spurned spurned ex of hollywood and he's just like well i'll show you hollywood (laughs) and it's like dude come on you've been making movies for 40 years no one gives a shit he's shut up he's like hey hollywood here's a mirror look at yourself yeah he's doing it's like a this movie is like a bag of shit that he lit on fire and placed on some studio's doorstep. <laughs> and it was like, take that, take that, and, dicks. and they were like, <laughs> and the studio is just like, David, what the hell, dude? You're like seventy years old. Chill out. What are you doing? Back off, dude. Back off. All right. Well, we told we told you numerous times that we would let you do movies. I don't understand. Hmm. <laughs> Just leave us alone. <laughs> uh, it's just it's silly to me. I just found the whole thing silly. Well, while I was watching it, I said to my girlfriend, I'm sure that people like this exist in the world, uh, mm-hmm. especially in L.A., but I've met a lot of actors, I've met filmmakers, and nobody acts like this. And I have a really hard time believing that even like super super famous people act like this i just i don't know i i guess maybe i'm just jaded but i have a hard time believing that there's that many people like this because when you see a movie like this it makes you think that uh this is supposed to be the majority in hollywood yeah yeah. and i i honestly don't believe that no i don't either plus it's just another movie in a long line of movies that are the main message is Hollywood is vapid. It's like, oh, thanks. Oh, we didn't know that. We didn't. Know, yeah, we didn't know we that did. that was the perception. Thank you. And, and I don't. Thank I also you for adding to the dialogue. Yeah, and I also don't. Very kind of you. I don't want to stick up for those types of people in Hollywood either, because I think that there is a lot of vapid stuff going on I'm in Hollywood. Sure. But 
you know, we, I don't know. I guess, it, to, like you said, to me, I was just, I it just, was just at tired. Least have, well, at least have a little more to say outside of they're vapid. Okay. Yeah. Number of movies have tackled that already. Well, Do you have anything else to add to that? Or you just piling on? And that was kind yeah. of, that was why initially I was kind of into this movie. I was like, oh man, this is Cronenberg's take on Hollywood. And to me, this this family was uh it was pretty intriguing at first i was kind of into their story and i was like oh what did mia wasikowska do why why are they acting this way towards her and i i was i really wanted to find out what what happened and i think that their story the story of that family is an interesting one but it's just uh it's just underneath all of this extra surface level stuff that i didn't really care for (laughs) yeah you just don't really care about like I don't care about Julianne Moore's story. Uh, I want to know more about the family dynamic here and that little shit stained kid. Evan Bird, Evan Bird being a shit stain. Yeah. Uh, what? What was that? I I loved how he was so jealous and hated that other little kid so much. Oh, uh, he sure did. And he kept calling him something, and I don't remember. He kept like reciting a line, but vagina or something. I enjoyed Evan Bird. But I didn't even realize that it was the same kid from The Killing. Oh, yeah. It was the, so that, the brother. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. I knew I recognized him from somewhere. I've only seen like two episodes of The Killing. But whatever. I just want to forget this movie. All right. Let's and never speak of it again. So can we? <laughs> yeah. Let's go ahead and give it a score. <laughs> no offense. Let's just move on. Let's go ahead and give it a score. I will give Maps to the Stars a four and a half out of ten. Ooh. Man. I was thinking you were definitely going to be higher than me. I was going to go like a five, but I usually, I usually keep the fives for movies that I just like care less about. Either way, yeah. Nor- like I just want to ignore that they exist. Yeah. Nor- at all. Normally, I give a five to like a middle of the road movie where I didn't really hate it, but I didn't really love it. It's just kind of you know, it's just an average, forgettable movie to me. <laughs> this. Well, you know what? Maybe I'll. Maybe uh, now I'm rethinking. Don't this. let me sway. Don't let me sway. Well, no. Now I'm rethinking this whole thing because. Uh, are you going lower? I might go. Yeah, I'm no. I might go. Fi- I might go higher to five and oh, a half geez. because I'm thinking. Because oh. if you're going five, I feel like maybe I did like it a little bit more than you. Okay. So I think I'll go- just give it what just give it what you want to give it, man. I think I'll go five and what a half. You want- Oh shit! Now I'm gonna go six. What are you gonna come back with? <laughs> let's let's work our way up to ten. Uh, no, <laughs> certainly not a ten. <laughs> no, I'm stuck at a five. Five is for movies where I just like to kind of throw up my hands, like oh, I don't fucking know. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe not. It's, I give two shits about it. Yeah, it, it's a uh, it's a tough. It's one of those if I never if I never saw it, I wouldn't feel any way about it. I wouldn't feel left out. Like oh shit. I really wish I saw maps to the stars. I don't know. I, f- I feel like maybe if I saw it again, there's a possibility that I could fall in love with it. That's that's what I'm kind of struggling with because I was really into it at first, but it just fell apart on me. No. So anyway, whatever. I'm giving it somewhere between <laughs> a four and a half and a five and a half. Uh, let's good times. Let's move on and talk about... We'll do The Salvation next, and then we'll end it off with Wild Canaries, because I think we both will like that a lot. 
And um, yeah, so Just end on a good note. Yeah, so we'll we'll move on to the salvation. This is directed by Christian Levering. Uh, synopsis says in 1870s America, a peaceful American settler kills his family's murderer, which unleashes the fury of a notorious gang leader. His cowardly Ooh. fellow townspeople then betray him, forcing him to hunt down the outlaws alone. Oh this stars Mads Mikkelsen, Ava Green, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Um, what's uh, striker Eric Cantana? I was looking for the one, the one guy from, uh, the one guy from Terriers and True Bloods in there for just a little bit. He's one of the, the guys at the beginning, one of the bad guys. Anyway, well, we also have Jonathan Price. Oh yeah, some Jonathan Price action. In yeah, there. Jonathan Price. That's that's the other one I was looking for. Uh, so now, Kevin, what'd you think mm. of uh, the Salvation? Um, fairly generic western. Um, has a very simple storyline. Something terrible befalls Matt Mickelson's family. He decides to take revenge. No one really helps him except his brother. And it follows the exact kind of narrative line that you think it would. Yeah, that's the... But at the same time, there's this odd inclusion of terrible effects work (laughs) that just really take me out of it. We'll get there, yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy. And it, it... I got the feeling that no one was really into this. Like, none of the performances that I'm seeing on the screen in The Salvation communicate to me that these people were really into the story and really wanted to tell this story. Yeah, it was very... Everyone just seems to be, like, sleepwalking through the entire affair. Yeah, it was very monotone, it, it seemed like. Just the, yeah. the performances, very uh, it, emotionless. Yeah, there's no development of characters... For some reason, they try and throw in this oil thing, uh, like out of nowhere but, towards but, the end, which just yeah. like was that because the way they end the film, <clears throat> it makes you think like, oh, that was the entire story, the entire time of the film. That's what this film was about, oil, which had nothing to do with Matt Mickelson's story whatsoever. So I'm just completely baffled. Well, to me, it felt like, first of all, there was a scene like a cutaway with uh with them talking to the 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 bad guys talking to mm-hmm. this oil baron i would assume uh yeah. and it felt so out of place it's like wait a minute now we're following the bad guys we've been following mads mickelson the whole time now we're going into the bad guy like that scene felt so out of place and i understand that they were trying that they put that in there so that we could understand why they're trying to buy up all the property and whatever but that yeah. that side plot or or whatever you want to call it felt so uh, insignificant. Like, what? Wh- why do we care? This up until this point, this has been a paint by numbers western. Oh yeah, to the Revenge to tale. a T. And then you put in this whole oil you thing. Try and, yeah, you just try and squeeze it in towards the end. You don't really develop outside of that scene. And then there's, <clears throat> you know, there's. A couple of scenes where you see like the oil bubbling and then some people make some but like don't drink the water that sticky stuff in it yeah and you're just like oh they don't know what oil is this is hilarious <laughs> and then at the end they try and make this like grandiose and again terrible terrible effects <laughs> try and make this like point of like this is what the story was really about and it's like shit you didn't develop that at all so to me none of this felt there was no point to anything Really? 
well, at all. I will say that as a we don't get a lot of westerns these days, and as a yeah. uh, if it was trying to go for a classic style revenge western, I think that it succeeded because I was actually quite into a lot of the the shootouts and things like that. I thought that they were well shot, well choreographed. I liked a lot of the lighting in it, the, especially there's a scene where he's laying underneath a house and you see like the bullet holes coming in and like the, oh, the yeah, light yeah. comes in. I thought that looked really cool. It's very cool. stylish. Um, very stylish. I liked a lot of the, uh, some of the, the violence in this movie felt very, uh, very real to me, like very visceral. Like there's a scene where a guy got stabbed in the face with a knife and it just, no, he sure did. It just felt, you know, it just looked really good. The violence looked good. But, uh, like you were saying, the effects work in this movie, <laughs> I mean, right at, mm. like right out of the gate, when they're in that stagecoach, uh, oh I was like, wait a minute, that is the most obvious green screen. I have, like, it looked so bad, like, on YouTube videos, when you see a YouTube video of someone that just got their green screen set up mm-hmm. and there's kind of that glow around their body. Yep. <laughs> that's that border. That's what it was. There was that kind of glow and it instantly took you out of it. And uh, there's a couple other scenes where they enhance the, <laughs> uh, the location and put in some like CG uh, oil towers and shit, and that looked oh, awful. It, just looked, it looks like something from like a PlayStation Two game. Yeah, I don't know the animation on that stuff. Yeah, and there's this. Okay, now, like you said at the beginning, there's the obvious green screening going on here. Now, I did like the look of it, not the terribleness of it. I looked, I liked what they were going for with the night sky and everything. If they could have just blended it in better, it would have been okay. But it, yes, it does take you out of it. The worst thing for me was CGI fire. Why? <laughs> yeah. Like, how hard is it to just light a fire and contain it? Just light a fucking fire, yeah. would you? Yeah, and it wasn't like uh, Maps to the Stars where it would be difficult to show yeah, it's a just person. It's like a small brush fire. Yeah. and it... How hard is it to gather up some wood, light it on fire, and film it? It's not rocket science. We've been doing it for years. Yeah, typically CG fire always looks like cg it looks, fire it oh it looks terrible and in this movie yes it looks really bad it looks quite and bad the, the other thing that really okay if that's not bad enough the fire that's going on in this film that's cgi fire is not that essential to the story no it's almost like okay if you can't do like if you're too scared to like make actually build a fire and film it and you're discussing like okay let's throw in cgi fire how about someone just comes in and be like, you know what, this isn't that important, so let's just cut it out entirely because it's just going to look awful. But no, they include it, and it looks terrible. And they just keep including things that look terrible but really don't add to the film at all. Yeah. So I don't understand their inclusion. It was it was tough because I thought that there were a lot of things that actually looked quite good in this movie too. Uh, I, I thought a lot of the cinematography was quite good. The uh, I like the uh, the zoom in under the house when he is laying there. You know what I'm talking enjoyed about. That. I enjoyed the entire opening with like soft focus, like going in between the the train station and everything. Mm-hmm. 
there's there's it was very stylish it's just they oh yeah i feel like they they dropped the ball on the effects work for sure it felt it really felt like you're watching a rough draft like hey we're not completely finished with this we still have a lot of smoothing out to do but take a look but no this is finished product yeah yeah it's just oh it's rough and then you couple that with the performances where people aren't they don't seem invested in the story at all the characters aren't i mean the characters are barely developed very little yeah very little dialogue to be had here uh ava green does not have a single line in this movie no, she plays a mute. Yeah, she plays a mute. So for you Ava Green fans out there, not a whole lot going on with her. Mads Mikkelsen doesn't really do anything. No. You could have had anyone playing that role, honestly. Yeah. I, I like that it was him, though, because I think he's a badass, and I like pretty much anything he's in. Also, oh. Jeffrey, Jeffrey <laughs> Dean Morgan was just a bit much. I thought it's Del Rue, the villain. I thought that he played a good Western villain. I, I felt like he... His character was uh, felt like a classical Western villain, you know. Yeah. I, I, the, 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 time, just the only thing that they were missing was tying the tying the girl up on the train tracks. <laughs> Instead, they tied <laughs> her up on the bed. Uh, I'm sure, like the the original screenplay had that. I like that, but I'm just always wondering, like, when he comes into town. There's so many opportunities for someone to just pull out a gun and, and, and shoot, shoot him in the face. There, just there do was it. a whole town just do it. and the whole time i was like somebody just kill this guy just kill him you have a sheriff and at least three or four deputies and then everybody else in the town they all want this guy gone just kill him just kill him as soon as he turns around he's giving his whole spiel and whatnot shoot the guy in the back of the head and, the, and they literally Fuck stand there and let him kill their citizens Man. one by one suck it up suck it up and take some people out yeah my god Fucking no loss or anything. Just kill the guy. This this movie also solidifies that the West was just an awful, terrible, horrible place, and I don't know why. I don't know why anyone would ever want to live there. Because they made it work somehow. I mean, the dudes, the dude's wife and child come to America, and within (laughs) ten minutes, they're already dead <laughs> which yeah which okay i would you know i was thinking like with john wick i was like man i've never have i seen a movie get me on the guy's side his mission quicker than john wick this movie did it even quicker yeah. i was just like okay mads let's take everybody out yeah let's do it but man it's just it's a slog really well it's it's interesting that you said it's a slog because to me if it felt like this movie was only half an hour long, it felt like it was just it was over so quickly. It felt like they came to a resolution and everything was just it was like in and out so fast to me. I don't know why it's a ninety minute movie, but it felt really short to me. See me, it, me it was the opposite. It felt like forever. Hmm. I don't know, but it really felt like there was only thirty minutes worth of actual substance, but we just drew it out for ninety minutes for some reason. Well, it sounds like you pretty much hated this movie. I actually liked it, so I w- I was not a fan. No, I, I th- there's just too much too much going against it. If they could have just did a better job with the effects, um, just flesh out. I'm not asking for like full blown characters because I know you're kind of going old school revenge film, but just flesh them out a little bit more than what I got here. I would have been completely on board. 
because I'm completely fine with just straightforward action western revenge tale. I'm ready for that. Yeah, see, I, that's that's why I was okay with it. I didn't particularly need deep characters. I mean, these are these are people living in the West in the 1800s. There's not a lot going on. There's not a lot to them. They're no. they're, they're pretty much I, emotionless, stoic. You know, just I think kind maybe of, the the inclusion that forced inclusion of the whole oil subplot just really just really irritated me. I think. I think that was like the final nail in the coffin. Yeah, that. And it's like, come, come on. I felt like that was unnecessary, but there was so little in the movie that had to do with that. I didn't. I didn't care. <laughs> I, I think it was just the end where you see all these CG oil when booms. it's pulling out. Yeah, that was. Yeah, terrible. and you're just like, what? Is, like that was the main takeaway that I was supposed to have from the film. Like, what was the point of the Mads Mikkelsen story? I don't. I don't understand what you're going for here. Yeah, I uh, I agree. It just didn't. I was into the action, and the, that's pretty much what did it for me. I I liked the old. You probably you probably turned the shit off before even the oil booms started popping up. You're just like, oh, they look terrible. Turn it off. No, I watched. Kind of liked it. No, I I watched. I watched that happen, and it was <laughs> it was bad. Yeah, it was it was bad, but it wasn't enough for me to be like. It wasn't enough for me to hate the movie because of it. I um I like the action. That was it was good. I like the old old style western shootouts where you're blasting a dude that's on a balcony and he falls off the balcony under the ground and there was a there's Clutch, there's a, the wound. There's a scene where they're dragging a dude on a horse. I'm not going to say, you know, what the context of that scene is. They're dragging a dude on a horse and it just looks so painful and awful. I would imagine that that would be painful. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I liked the scene a lot where the, and of course I knew as soon as the kid, the young kid, uh, showed up, the shop, the shop, male Audrey Plaza, uh, as soon as he showed up, I was like, oh, he's going to join up with Mads Mikkelsen and get killed. (laughs) Sure enough. Sure is. (laughs) Sure enough. But I like, he did not last. No, he didn't. But I like, I like that scene with the, uh, when the guy was shooting up through the ceiling and he hit the, uh. Yeah, but also terrible. It, it was, fire. it was, it was, but I was okay with it because I thought it was badass what happened. That, it, that that one made a little more sense, right? Because it's like, okay, I can understand you using CGI fire there because that's a very dangerous situation to be in. <laughs> yeah. Things could go wrong. Yeah. So I understand that, but the small brush fire before that you're using CG fire for, just build a fire, please. And I thought that a lot of the violence. Um, a lot of the violence appeared to be using practical effects. However, there were some times when peop- they would show people getting shot and they would put mm-hmm. in CG bullet holes in the people. Yeah. And it looked like yeah. it looked like uh, they were getting hit with paintballs or something. It didn't it didn't look real. It looked like they had a sticker. It looked like somebody placed a sticker on top of their shirt that looked like it was a picture of a bullet hole. Yeah, you know what I mean? Was, it, like it looked, it, it, was it wasn't layered correctly. It didn't look like, it didn't look like there was their shirt and the shirt had a hole in it. And underneath that hole, there was a bullet hole on their skin. It looked like the bullet hole was on top of the shirt. And then there was a shirt, then their skin. <laughs> it just wasn't layered properly. Yeah. Kind of like a, what I pointed to earlier. It, it squibs. Feels like a rough. Use squibs, people. They've worked for... Dozens of years. Forever, really. 
just to use them. And they look good. They sure do. Just do it. All right. Anyway, what are you going to give the Salvation out of 10? I give it a 4. 4 out of 10. Wow. I'm going to give it a 6. Ooh. Yeah, cool. All right. I liked it. I, I. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. If you want just a kind of a plain Western, this is it. Yeah. Not a lot to it. Nope. There, not much to it at all. We do have a review for this up on the site. Ernie gave it a four and a half, so he was not big on it either. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our final review of the week. We're talking about Wild Canaries. This is written and directed by Lawrence Michael Levine. I have a synopsis here. A Brooklyn couple suspects foul play when their next, when their rent-controlled neighbor suddenly drops dead. This stars Sophie Tikal, Lawrence Michael Levine, uh, Aaliyah Shawkat, and uh, Jason Ritter's in there. Kevin Corgan's in there. Annie Parisi's in there. Now, you wrote a review for this. on, mm-hmm. So that's, that's mm-hmm. up on the site now. You can read that. Uh, actually, I completely forgot to say how you can see these movies. Maps to the Stars and the Salvation. <laughs> <laughs> they're, I think all of these are available on demand right now. And they're all playing in limited release. I don't, I just, I don't think we were that interested in having people watch them. No, not not really. Not really. Uh, Anyway, Wild Canaries, uh, you wrote a review for this, so I'll start it off. I had a blast with Wild Canaries. I thought it was fantastic. It was fun. It was really funny. Um, The, it kind of had a cold weather vibe to me where it was... It felt like an indie comedy, but there were just these little bits of kind of action mystery involved. And Mm -hmm. I think for the most part, the mystery was, it actually worked. It was kind of ridiculous. And, oh, I love, I love the, the development that it took because it was so ridiculous. (laughs) The masks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really kind of silly and over the top. And I, I liked that. I thought that it was uh, very well written, that it was very clever, and uh, most importantly, I thought it was funny. And that's that's really what did it for me. I thought the characters were really funny, and uh, I, I thought Lawrence Michael Levine was such a douche in this movie. Mm-hmm. He was just such, He's such a condescending it was, asshole. Yeah, it was so funny because he was such a douche, but bad things kept happening to him, which made it even funnier because you kind of enjoyed it when like when you tweak his <laughs> neck and just scream and then for the rest of the movie is wearing the, the neck brace oh man and do they get a lot of comedic mileage out of that neck brace yeah just him running with the neck oh brace yeah is ridiculous oh yeah oh my god i love the scene Plus, and then he gets punched in the face yeah so many terrible things happen. Which you know? which is completely random when that happens too, or pretty much random when he gets punched in the face by the by by his coworker's girlfriend. Uh oh man, just I thought it was great. I love that they worked at Factory. Apparently, they own Factory Twenty Five. I guess that's what, that's what it kind of looked like. I thought that that was interesting. I love the uh, the video free Brooklyn tote bag that they showed in the one scene. I was a big fan of that. <laughs> uh one of my favorite scenes was when they were following jason ritter and i'm not i'm gonna really try not to give away like any part of the mystery that happens here they yeah. were following jason ritter and they thought that he was gonna see them and he, he goes to put a seat down and it was yes <laughs> the automatic yes. seat it was so slow 
It just takes forever. Oh my goodness. There's a lot of just small yeah. comedic moments yeah. that I absolutely loved. Their whole knockdown drag out fight between him and his fiance mm-hmm. and you know, talking about how he doesn't support her. And of course he goes straight to the, the financial side of things and he just starts yelling about Clementines. <laughs> I don't know why. But just him freaking out about Clementines, essentially saying that, you know, I buy you Clementines. Yep. How dare you say I, I buy you Clementines. <laughs> there's there's always Clementines on this goddamn table because of me. And I also like when <laughs> when she's trying to point the finger at, at Jason Ritter's character and he goes, he's a Hurricane Sandy victim, dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Just the way he said that was so funny to me. I was losing it. He's a Hurricane Sandy victim, dudes. Uh, I never expected him to be so funny. I've seen him in numerous things before, but this really solidified it. I mean, his facial expressions, the physical comedy that he really brings to the table in this one just all really worked for me. And I'm not usually a big fan of, you know, slapstick, goofball, physical comedy, but... Man, he delivered in this thing. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. I had such a blast with this movie. And to see a lot of people liking it to um, Manhattan Murder Mystery by Woody Allen. Mm -hmm. And then I I went and read the synopsis for that. And it sounds exactly the same. So I need to see that immediately. Yeah, I haven't seen that either, so. And I would be interested to know, you know, if I saw the Woody Allen one first and then saw this, what my take would have been. You know what I kind of saw it as, you know, kind of reductive. Yeah, I'm sure. Redundant. I'm sure it's different enough. I'm sure it's different enough. And one of the main things that I really enjoyed was the the inclusion of the cell phone, but the fact that uh, Lawrence Michael Levine's character had no idea how to use one, and it just kept popping up again and again, and he would never know what to do <laughs> in that situation. <laughs> I just I loved that inclusion. Yeah, I I had a I had a blast with this movie. Plus, I love I love the score. I thought the score was great. Really added to it, made it really playful and lively. Um, some of the camera work I was actually surprised by, especially the like the very end, the rooftop. Uh huh. How everything played out with him sneaking around. I thought that that was filmed wonderfully. I just had so much damn fun with this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, again, it's one of those movies that we're sitting here talking about it, and I just I want to shut up and just watch it again. Yep, it's, it's all I want to do. Very, very fun movie. The only thing that really kind of disappointed me was after the the whole mystery was kind of solved and wrapped up. Oh, everything after that felt kind of pointless. Like I wasn't into any of that. I was just like, well, that was okay. That was actually one thing that I didn't like a lot was the the scene where they kind of recap everything for us yeah where they were they a fan of yeah that. where they where they kind of explain they explain what happened and the sequence of events I, I felt like when whenever that happens in movies it feels uh i don't want to say lazy because that that sounds too too harsh but if i feel like that they could have presented that in a more organic natural way yeah it just if kind of unnecessary i always feel as though that's unnecessary. yeah yeah and i always feel like it's kind of condescending it, yeah to the audience. right like hey you weren't able to follow you weren't able to put the pieces together so here it is for you 
Yeah, and you're always sort of sitting there like, yeah, it wasn't as clever as you thought it was. Like, I was completely with you the entire time. Exactly. You don't have to explain this to me. Yeah, I... Yeah. But, again, that it really wasn't... It wasn't... A, it's such a small Yeah, that's thing a nitpick. That's a nitpick. It doesn't take you out of it. By that point in time, you've had so much fun that you just sort of ignore it. At least I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot else to add about it actually it was just just watch just a watch it. yeah it was just a fun movie i enjoyed it quite a bit it was really funny i think that if you enjoy indie comedies you'll you'll like this i think that there's a nice little mystery hook to it that that makes it refreshing and uh some good performances in there too jason ritter was good kevin corrigan he's always good he, he play, solid as always yeah he, he played a creepy dude creepy guy but uh, yeah, good stuff. Check it out. Wild Canaries. Uh, what did you give this? Do you give it? An... I give. I give it an eight and a half. Eight and a half. Wow. I'm gonna go ahead and yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and give it an eight out of ten. I was completely into this bad boy. Yeah. So highly recommend. I was kind of worried because I've been wanting to see this for a while now, and I was I was afraid because I thought I had my expectations too high. I thought I was gonna be let down, but man, it delivered. Well, yeah. So yeah, I just left you speechless. Fucking, <laughs> yeah. ch- fucking chew on that, buddy. Go see Wild Canaries in limited release and on video on demand right now. Let's go ahead and jump into some of what we've been watching. I believe that I will kick it off this week. Oh boy. Uh, what do I got? What do I got on the list here? Uh My Life to- directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. So Oh boy. This is a it's a documentary that came out this weekend. Uh, basically, it is it's shot by his wife and kind of chronicles the process of creating Only God Forgives, which is a uh, his his much anticipated follow up to Drive. And you well, you and I are not big fans of Only God Forgives. A lot of people not big fans of yeah. Only God Forgives. You're like 15 seconds into talking about this movie, and I'm already bored to death. It's <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of interesting because because it's shot by his wife. There's never a a moment where it feels like uh like he he needs to be tense or he always feels relaxed. It always it always feels like a very intimate. Um, feels like a home movie i mean that's what that's essentially what it is it's a home movie okay it's a home movie that is scored that has a score by cliff martinez okay sure it's only an hour long so it's pretty i don't even know if you could it's being billed as like a feature-length documentary i don't i don't know at at it's 58 minutes that seems more like a short film to me but that's the big problem is that it never got it, it never delved deep enough into any one of these aspects that uh, really kind of hooked me. It was cool. <laughs> like it was cool to see the behind the scenes stuff with making only God forgives because it takes place in Thailand. So uh, what they had to do, basically he and Ryan Gosling had to bribe these city officials in order to be able to shoot at nighttime on the streets in Bangkok and to get, okay. to get the money to bribe the officials, they had to make an appearance at this film festival and they got paid like 90 grand to, to 
go to this film festival and then they use that money to then pay pay off the city officials to let them shoot there at nighttime. Oh my. So there's a, there's a lot of cool kind of behind the scenes stuff that it just briefly, I mean briefly touches on. We get to see them shooting maybe two or three scenes of the movie and and then the other part of it is kind of what his creative process is like and Oh, I'm sure that's interesting. The shit. The kind of the stress that he's under, the pressure, because Drive was wildly successful and, you know, the he was feeling the pressure of ha- making sure that this movie lives up to that movie and uh, the strain that it was putting on his relationship with his wife and his two kids. But again, it didn't it didn't go far enough into that, into that dynamic. Like, I wanted to know more about what he if it was going to delve into his creative process then i want to see more of that you know more than just yeah. like a scene of him sitting at a coffee table scribbling notes on a script i just wanted uh more more do, detail do they happen to show him getting a reading from jarwarski does that pop up yeah the, the beginning of the movie of the sure the beginning of the movie is actually him speaking with jarwarski and then when they go to can i think to premiere the movie, uh, Joe Dawarski's there too. This movie sounds like a nightmare. It's pretty interesting, actually. I I like movies that get into the craft of filmmaking. So in that regard, this was somewhat interesting. I just wanted more. I just wanted more of all of the aspects of it. You gotcha. Bit light. Yeah, and, and, bit too light for you. And the fact that the fact that it was only God forgives, which was a movie that <laughs> you're not really interested yeah, in the beginning. Like I didn't, I didn't like that movie to begin with. It, it didn't really matter though. It could have really been any, any movie. The fact that I, I think that Nicholas winning Refn is dis- despite the fact that I didn't like only God forgives. I still think that he's a good director. And I think that he's an interesting person that I am. I'm genuinely interested in learning about how he makes movies. So, in that regard, I yeah, I enjoyed it. I just wanted oh, more. I'm sure he'll be telling you for years to come how he makes his movies. <laughs> he seems like that type. I just want... I think this is like the second film about his creative process. Oh, maybe. Which, is, which I think is kind of ridiculous coming from a guy that... Whatever. <laughs> wow, you just, just you have just, so much for, hatred for Nicholas winning right I do. I think the more I learn about this guy, I just, I'm not a... I'm not a fan. Well, maybe you need to see this, and you'll you'll think differently. It'll solidify my dislike. For no, him. I think you'll you'll feel a little bit different. He's really hard on himself. Like towards before before uh, he goes to Cannes, he freaks. He has like a little freak out, and he's like, "This movie is garbage. It's not." He's like, "I can't fix it. There's nothing I can do. It's not what I wanted." Well, that's good that he realizes. It yeah, too. he and he's just like, "This is it. This is gonna be bad." And like they. They go all the way up until can, and then they show him reading. He reads several reviews out loud, and it's just <laughs> like, oh, my God. Felt so bad for the guy. Uh, that's a bummer. So, at any rate, I believe that this is playing on demand right now. It's My Life, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, I watched, talked about a last show, Revenge of the Ninja. Uh-oh. Oh boy, is this something or what? So I, you know, I was ready for some stupid ninja action. It's Sam Furstenberg again. 
I was thinking, you know, something along the lines of American Ninja. It's just going to be some stupid ninja action. A slightly cohesive story, but really just an excuse for ninja action. But, man, I was not expecting. You you weren't prepared. You weren't prepared. I was not prepared at all. There is so much packed into Revenge of the Ninja that makes absolutely no sense. But at the same time, it's kind of a joy to watch. But also at the same time, the ninja action gets a little... Uh, boring and redundant. Yeah. After a while, because it's just the the fight sequences themselves, like the choreography and stuff, it's not that good. No. Um. And that just re- it really takes you out of it because after a while, the you know when they when you get to like the seventh ninja fight scene, you're just like, oh my god. And there's even one towards the end where he fights these four ex cons. <laughs> I remember that. They, <laughs> Hey, so he goes to the one guy was dressed up like a cowboy. Yeah, an effeminate cowboy. There's like there's a black guy in roller skates with like child <laughs> pads on, <laughs> and they're sitting on this bench. There's four of them, and he's just going to see if they know anything about a break in at his Japanese doll gallery, which we'll get to. We'll get to that, but he's just going to see if they know anything about it. And the way that they respond is, "Oh shit, leave us alone." So he fights them, which is the complete opposite of what martial arts is about and what you usually see in films. He just decides to kick the shit out of these four guys because they know nothing. And in all honesty, he's just the aggressor in this, and he looks like a douchebag for kicking the shit out of these four guys for no reason. And the entire fight sequence is, you know, people gather around, like make a circle, and they do their ninja kung fu stuff. And it's funny because it takes place at like a kids playground yeah so they're you know they're fighting on the wooden bridges and the nets and all this shit and the slides and whatever and the funny thing is is while you're watching this if you plan on watching revenge of the ninja keep this in mind when this sequence comes up do not pay attention to the fight because it's not that great just look at the onlookers in the background that have gathered around they are so unbelievably disinterested in what's going on that half of them aren't even paying attention. Mm. They're just kind of like shuffling their feet and looking at the ground. It is just hilarious to see. Oh, my goodness. Just the, the main thing that I was not ready for was the seven-year-old fight scenes. <laughs> yeah, his son. So his son has a number of fight sequences. It starts off with him fighting, you know, like four or five other kids his age. And... I mean, it's kind of cute. They try and do the martial arts, and there's so many instances where it just it's not working. But I guess because of like child labor laws, they just had to use what they could because they just couldn't keep filming. So all the the kind of attempts at kung fu are in there, and it's just kind of silly to see. But at the same time, you're just like kind of clapping these kids on because you've never seen seven-year-olds fight kung fu style in a movie before. But then he fights a grown woman. Which is probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. (laughs) And she's just straight up slaps him in the face, which is hilarious. And they mix in this comedy for some reason. Like he charges her and she moves out of the way and he slams into a door. It's like he's straight out of a cartoon. Bonks his head on the the, the door. It's just hilarious. And then, you take it a step further, he fights a full-grown man <laughs> and saves the woman that he just fought from apparently a they jacuzzi. tied her up in, in a jacuzzi with like jets hitting her in the face, <laughs> and they thought, like, oh, that will kill her. And 
I so desperately want to tell you how he, how this seven-year-old ends up beating this full-grown adult with facial hair and tattoos. It was huge, but I too. can't, I can't tell you because you need to see it. You need to see it play out and just take you by surprise. And you're just gonna be like, "Are you kidding me? That's what we're doing in this movie?" Okay, we're like we were playing it kind of straight the entire time, but then this just evolves into just absolute silly cartoon just straight up comedy and there's just so much in this movie that it's just downright terrible just all of it is terrible if I- there's a i mean there's a pre his pre-teen son gets throwing star straight between the eyes just right off the bat just dead his entire family killed and the guy's like come to america you can't this is never going to end these ninjas just keep popping up and killing you <laughs> your family for no reason yeah. and his grand his mom shows up and she's like no his family, his entire family has died in Japan. This ground is sacred. He needs to stay here. And it's like, number one, why do ninjas just keep popping up at your place and killing your family? Like, what did you do? What did you do to piss off all these ninjas? There's just rogue ninjas running around killing your family for no reason. And second, why is that the reason that you're going to stay in Japan? Because your entire family keeps being killed in Japan. So by default, I should stay in Japan. I don't understand that logic. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And my favorite thing is that the, you know, there's the twist, which is, that happens right away, is that the white guy's the ninja, the bad ninja, with his ridiculous get-up with a mesh shirt and his ridiculous mask and everything. But my favorite thing about his character is that he carries around his ninja equipment yeah. in an oversized briefcase. Yeah, and an attache case. <laughs> what the fuck? And there's like four separate sequences of him packing up yeah. his oversized briefcase where he's just like picking things up. Like, oh, I guess I should take the size. Okay, so I look at the size, look at the blades, look at the dark gun. Uh, then there's, you know, then there's Nightwolf from Mortal Kombat. He shows up for no uh, reason. I, I thought How- he looked like uh, Anthony Kiedis from <laughs> Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh shit, it's Anthony Kiedis. I just kept like after that I'm thinking how many are how many stereotypes are we gonna have like are we just gonna go through all yeah we got the Italian Italian Joe Pesci looking mob guy which he gets killed in a public at a park a ninja I mean this is just if you want to know what a ninja does this is what a ninja does he shows up full suit with a briefcase goes into a public restroom at a park changes into his ninja costume with my face mask, my shirt, everything, like I said, waits for a guy to come in and take this, then decides to kill him. And keep in mind, all these ninjas are loud as shit. Like, they are the complete opposite of what a ninja should be because they make a shit ton of noise. Now, after he kills the guy, changes back into the suit, puts all of his weapons away into his, you know, oversized briefcase, and then just waltzes out. And apparently, no one notices this at all. No. just It's absolutely ridiculous. It felt this movie feels like uh they tried to pack in every kind of ninja weapon every kind mm-hmm. of st- like stereotypical ninja weapon that they could so they got there was uh there was one scene that i loved towards the end it was it was the big culminating fight scene and the which takes place on like a badminton court and it starts off of, well mean... this is well this is before that it was when he was going after all the mob guys and uh he's picking a lock and there's a guy coming down, coming down the hallway to get him, and he throws out these like, uh, what I can't caltrops, and then 
Uh, he's not even looking. He doesn't even look. He just grabs a handful of marbles and tosses them over his shoulder. And the fucking guy falls on the marbles into and a face full of caltrops, dead. Oh, that's so ridiculous. There's three separate scenes where uh, jacuzzis are utilized. Yeah. Like, they were really into jacuzzis. It's the 80s, um, I man. Love the, <laughs> I love the fact that there's just all of a sudden he's, he has decoys. Like, I don't know where he's getting these decoys towards the end, but he's just pulling them out of nowhere. He's putting them in jacuzzis. Decoys just popping up everywhere. There's ninja magic with the hypnosis. Yeah, the hypnosis, the, which, the which green is funny eye hypnosis. He's just, yeah, he's just all of a sudden, he's like, count with me. And she's like, okay, one, two. And it's like, why are you counting with this man? Like, why does anyone ever said count with me? And the person replies with, okay, sure. I will count Sure, with why you. not? Completely normal thing. Oh my goodness! If you're looking for a variety of ninja weapons, though, this this has grappling grappling hooks, bow and arrow, freaking ninja decoys, all kinds of shurikens, swords, elaborate size, elaborate decoys. He they flamethrowers, flamethrowers. They use the baton things, the like the nightsticks, everything. There's just there's so many things going on. They use like the piano wire. He uses the piano wire to kill his own henchman for some reason. Yeah, because all of a sudden there's just a rape attempt yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah. Just like straight cuts a rape attempt. He's like, take care of her. Make sure you watch her. And then he comes home and the guy's trying to rape her and he just he's like, oh, okay, well I'll just kill you then. I'll kill you. And then immediately afterwards, count with me. Count with me. Okay, I'll count with you. The one thing... Oh, there's one thing. I, I completely forgot about this. The woman is training with the main ninja, Cho. Or what's his name in the movie? Yeah, Cho Osaki. He's, she's taking like lessons or whatever with him. And she just shows up with no, no pants, pants. on. And, and this is towards the beginning of the movie, too. She's Yeah, with his kids, this kid and there, kids too. And kids in the room. <laughs> she shows up with no pants. And it's funny because she's like coming on to Cho and everything, and he's she's like, you know, I'm here for my lesson and everything, and he just no lie just goes, well, you forgot your pants, <laughs> <laughs> just straight face. Oh my god. I like the the one thing I did like was when he goes to his doll gallery and finds that the that Anthony Kiedis and the rest of them broke in, <laughs> and the twenty minute long chase that took place <laughs> oh my god it takes forever and it's funny because he enters that room and everything's smashed everything's on the ground completely smashed all the display cases everything but then all subsequent shots of the gallery everything is nicely yeah. where it is nothing smashed up and at the same time his mother did not hear any of this happening but then when the white guy ninja brayton there's a ninja named brayton for christ's sake when he stealthily enters the house it perks up her ears and she's like, someone has entered the house. Yet she did not hear Anthony Kiedis Nightwolf combo breaking in, smashing all the glass, just taking all the Japanese stuff. She didn't hear any of that. But she hears the ninja pop up from the roof. I do like when she was doing the flips and stuff, though. The old, yeah. the old grandma. So, yeah. <laughs> Keep in mind, there's a 70-year-old doing fight sequences. But I do love the way that she dies. I just thought that that was ridiculous yeah. and hilarious. One of my favorite things about the, I believe it was the scene, the the chase scene when he was chasing after the van. There's a scene where he was flipping over fences, and it looked so (laughs) ridiculous. 
It looks absolutely terrible. And the fight sequences, you know, you can tell that he knows what he's doing. But you can tell the other people have no idea. So everything they do is very slow. Yeah, it's, it's telegraphed. Uh, yeah. The, the choreography look, is very apparent. Oh, it's terrible. So you don't even have that going for it. Well, the reason that I picked this for you, I believe that this was the movie that kind of was... Kicked it off. It was kind of the transition period for canon films where this is where they started doing action. Because I believe that this was uh, a modest success for them. And this is where, from this point, is when they started doing a lot of action. Because before that... I think they probably did some action, but they were mostly doing like horror and kind of sexploitation type movies. Gotcha. And this is where they started getting into action. And that and that's really what Canon Films was known for later on was their action movies. And it was ridiculous. This movie's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Uh so that's Revenge of the Ninja. Uh I'd say I'd say seek it out. It's it's a fun it's terrible. It's awful, but it's fun. No, you gotta you gotta watch it with friends. Though. It's fun. Uh, I saw a another documentary. I saw nothing but docs. You're all about docs. Yeah, I saw nothing but docs. It wasn't on purpose, but uh, it's called All This Mayhem. It's this is a Vice documentary that that uh, came out. It's, it's about uh, the um, Papas brothers. They're uh, really really famous skateboarders back in the nineties. And they were basically the number one and number two skateboarders in the world, uh, vert, vert skaters. And it kind of just goes through their lives and their, their meteoric rise and fall. Uh, so often with these pro skaters, you hear about problems with drugs and alcohol and all of this. And this is uh, definitely one of those stories. It's a, kind of a tragic story. They were... On top of the world, uh, they were ranked higher than Tony Hawk, and they just kind of got into drugs. And one of one of them, the younger brother uh, Ben, got he got uh, caught smuggling cocaine into Australia, and basically they uh, said you're never going to be allowed in the United States again. So that pretty <clears throat> much ended his career. If you're into skateboarding and kind of the history of skateboarding this is a pretty solid documentary uh not not a lot to say it's pretty straightforward but if you don't know their story i knew who these guys were but i didn't really know their life story or anything it's pretty yeah. it's pretty interesting and it's it's sad uh ultimately with uh the older brother taz he he um gets his shit together so that's at least somewhat uplifting by the end but yeah still uh still a rough watch oh boy. yeah i don't i don't really have anything else to say about it all, <laughs> all this mayhem i'd say uh i'm okay. sorry even yeah, if you're not no. even if you're not like really into skateboarding i'd say it's still worth checking out gotcha i ended up checking out frames like i said i was going to brandy colvin's debut because of the strength of sabbatical so back to Vimeo, checked out Frames 2013. Uh, you know how when we were talking about sabbatical, how you said, you know, if this was maybe not uh, Robert Longstreet in the lead, that it might have been, you know, a little more difficult to watch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's Frames. Oh, you're, talk you're talking about Frames. 
because this is uh you know it's his debut you got non-actors working here and you know how kind of touched on you know in a percent of emotional volume levels at a zero and then sabbatical is like a three maybe being generous there and frames is at a zero uh, straight zero back down the board there's not there's no emoting whatsoever um everything is very dry uh very glacial pace to it the indie lull is in full effect nice i mean hardcore um plus the the imagery itself you know, you had a problem with sabbatical the way that it looked, the quality of the, the video, or the film, or whatever it was. This is this is worse because you know it's a debut, so they didn't have as much as a budget. But the story itself is is fairly interesting. You know, it starts off with a kid making a documentary about his hometown, and he has this girl that's kind of helping him out, and there's just like kind of like buddy romance between the two of them, and then she disappears. He can't get a hold of her. Um, he has no idea where she is. No one has seen her. His dad, her dad, is acting very strange. So he starts to, you know, interview him, like he's doing it for the documentary. But he's trying to find out information and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's a very interesting story. Um, the way that it's told is really difficult to get through. Um, but at the same time, much like sabbatical, the way that it ends, it's very, very interesting. I did thoroughly enjoy the ending. So it's like a light. Light recommend, but the main thing to take away from this movie compared to Sabbatical is to see the giant leap from his debut to Sabbatical. It's just, I mean, all aspects, everything. It's just a huge leap in improvement. Hmm. And also, just the, the, the things that I normally really, really hate about Brisson movies, the, the fact that he's able to use those and they don't irritate the shit out of me, has me intrigued. There's there's something to say about that. Hmm. So it's like a light recommend. And that's Frames, and that is available on Vimeo. You can get that for free, right? Yeah, and it also has another uh, extremely uncomfortable masturbating sequence. Ooh, so there you go. <laughs> two for two. Wonderful. Two for two. It kind of felt like, and someone pointed this out on Letterboxd, I can't remember who, but it kind of felt like after school, the Antonio Campos movie mm-hmm. kind of felt like that, but I enjoyed it more than After School. Okay, you know with that suffocating framing that he does. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw The Hunting Ground. This is Kirby Dick's latest documentary. Um, this is playing in limited release. I don't think it has uh, any kind of VOD release as of yet. Uh, so you have to see this in the theater, which is. A really tough place to see a movie like this because you just you can't escape it. And this is a documentary about college rape. And um, mm-hmm. this is uh, if you're not familiar with Kirby Dick, he's the same guy that did um, the the documentary about uh, Invisible War, the one with uh, sexual abuse cases in the military. This is basically the exact same movie. It's just covers college campuses instead of the military and it's every bit as wrenching and difficult to get through but also feels just as important as the invisible war if not more so uh because it's the statistics that they give you in this movie are uh jaw-dropping and staggering and maddening and it 
basically just kind of looks at the college institution and explains why uh, there are so many cover-ups by colleges to to kind of uh, shield people from the apparent rampant uh, sexual assault that happens on these campuses. And it's it's just crazy. I mean, I knew that it was bad, but I had no idea just how bad it was and how the lengths that these colleges are willing to go through to cover this stuff up. And, oh, yeah. and it's it's just you, that's been a problem for. Oh, years, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Years and years. Yeah. And they, and they say that in, in the movie <clears throat> that this is something that's been happening for, you know, for decades. Know. It's, it, it's good that it's finally starting to come to light over the past well, I'd say the, you know, like past like five years, it seems like it's more in the forefront where people are trying to yeah really push it. It's uh, it seems to be getting better. Uh, more colleges are starting to be held accountable, mainly, and this this documentary explains that there's these two girls, both both uh, survivors of a sexual assault uh, at North Carolina, and they discovered that there was kind of this uh, loophole in the college bylaws that says if a student, I'm probably butchering this, I'm paraphrasing and it's, and I don't have it in front of me or anything, but it basically says that if a student uh, feels that they are in danger at their college, then the college is held liable for that and that they are liable to have their federal funding pulled because of that. So because of this uh, law, a lot of survivors have been filing claims with the Department of Education against their colleges, and there are currently 90 federal investigations that are happening um, at, at 90 different schools across the country into these allegations. So I believe... I'm I'm hopeful that there is some progress being made, but as it stands now, one in four college students will be the victim of a sexual assault during their uh, four-year career at school, which is fucking insane. One in four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, dude, the numbers the numbers against women, just you know, either sexual assault or just domestic violence, it's terrifying. Uh, they do. I, would, I mean, I would hate. I would be scared to death to be a woman. Yeah, to be quite honest. Interestingly, they do talk to two men that were sexually assaulted as well. So, or maybe even three. They might even talk to three. So it's it's not just women. Obviously, it's mainly women. But yeah, uh, it's just a terrible epidemic that's happening. Mainly because the perpetrators know that they can get away with it, especially if they're an athlete. If they're uh, a student athlete, then they're pretty much guaranteed that they can get away with it. You know, unless the, the most unless they kill the person, then then they probably won't get away with it. But uh, if they just you know like to rape women, then odds are they the blinders will be put on. It's it. Uh, one of the segments that they get into um, is the whole thing. The the uh, at FSU, the whole Jameis thing. Oh, and yeah, yeah. It, I've lived I lived in Tallahassee for many years, and they just they're it's a football town, and they they just love they love their FSU football so much that they're willing to put the blinders on and not confront somebody that 
pretty clearly uh, sexually assaulted uh, a young girl. And then, of course, they end up blaming that the girl. She ends up dropping out of school, and she's driven out of the town. She has to leave the town because she's harassed and threatened. Well, and... Yeah, I mean, Jameis, he's so good at throwing that football. I mean, you got to keep that in town. You need someone that can throw a football, right? Of course. That's what America's all about, is throwing footballs. And it just, if it's frustrating to see that when allegations like this, the of course the first thing everybody does is the they blame her and say that she's making it up. And oh, just, yeah, just, or they go, she was asking for it. Right, or, right. You know, all that shit. But in this case, she didn't even know who he was. It happened a year before he became uber famous. So she didn't even know who he was. Uh, the the rape kit that she had done proved that it was him and that she was assaulted, and yet nobody did anything about it. So it's it's terrible, and it's you understand why um, why a lot of these students don't come forward and report it because mm-hmm. this kind of shit happens, and it's just it's so awful. Uh, it, the documentary it's it's a difficult documentary much like the invisible war it's it's str- i know i, I, I want to see it because it it seemed it you know it's a very important documentary but i'm just all i can think of is the invisible war <clears throat> which was just like constantly pissing me off yeah and this this one i think maybe pissed me off a, a little bit I more i have a feeling it will too yeah it pissed me off a little bit more because with the military, they're kind of their own little microcosm. When when you're dealing with colleges, uh, there's so many more people involved with it. I mean, you you have. But it's, but that's another thing that kind of irritates me is that a lot of these colleges are allowed to be these little microcosms where it's like we handle it ourselves, and it's like why why is it like that? I don't give a fuck who you are, or what institution you are. There's laws. Like, why is it schools handling this shit? Yeah, and they, they should be completely taken out of the equation. Yeah, and they they really get into they really dive deep into a lot of aspects. They deal with uh, the colleges that have um, the focus on their sports programs. They deal with frats and the the inst- institution of fraternities and how that plays a role. Uh, obviously, they talk. It's it's all perpetrated by money, of course. It's it's all about money and yeah. and uh, um, tuition and and donations and and uh, stuff like that and keeping their numbers down. Um, but yeah, they get into a lot of different aspects of it. So it's a very it is a very in depth documentary uh, that covers a lot of uh, a lot of terrible terrible things that have been happening recently, and it, it was. It's funny because I think that if I think that more people need to know that if you have a daughter and she's going off to college, that there's a pretty good chance that she's going to be sexually assaulted. And I think that what parents need to know is that uh, I, I think probably what's happening is that most parents think like, oh, my my daughter's smarter than that. And. Or, or she'll, they'll just be like, well, she won't be putting herself in that kind of situation. But it's not about that, you know. It, yeah, it's, it's not how it works. <laughs> a, a lot of the girls 
that they interview in this movie were drugged. A lot of them were, there was one where it was just, it was a conspiracy where this guy and his friends tricked this girl into going over to his apartment and it was just him. And as soon as she walked in, he grabbed her and assaulted her. So it's not like one of these situations where the girl's asking for it, quote unquote. It's, yeah, it's well, ne- I don't think that ever happens. No, it's never, it's never like that. <laughs> I just, I had, that is the most ridiculous and the other, the other big, I've ever heard. yeah, and the other big argument that a lot of people say is like, oh, these girls are just they're they're faking it. It's all false accusations. But statistically, they they say this, which I found was really interesting, that um, it's the the amount of false rape accusations that have been reported to police uh, is, is actually less than uh, other false accusations like assault and things like that. It's like. I think they said two, two to eight percent, or something like that, turn out turn out to be false. Yeah. So it's such a small portion that it can't be just brushed off like that. And just to no. see, you know, just to see, like the like the girl that was uh, assaulted by Jameis, it was really difficult because, like, I was thinking if that was me and I and everybody on ESPN he's he's everywhere and everybody loves him and everybody hates her and it's just i don't know it's just so terrible so there's a documentary that you if you want to wreck your day yeah it 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 did pretty much wreck my day luckily i saw it later on in the evening last night so <laughs> didn't so did, didn't just... crush it completely but yeah it was it was rough um at any rate the hunting ground i highly recommend seeing it it's it's a difficult movie but at the same time i think that it's a necessary movie i think that they need to show this on college campuses they need to show it to parents they it just it needs to get out there gotcha yeah and that's that's all i got I, that's all i got I, that's all i got as well okay let's go ahead and move on to some predictions last week we said focus you said 38 i said 32 actual 56 I think we gave it a 5 out of 10 on the site, so you can read our review. Jacob reviewed that. The Lazarus Effect, you said 68, I said 72, actual 14. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. I didn't see well, I didn't see that this weekend. Mm, I saw, that's probably a good idea. Well, I saw The Hunting Ground instead, so now I'm kind of thinking maybe I should have, because that wrecked my weekend. Maybe I should have saw just a crappy horror movie instead. <laughs> um... Next week, we have Chappie. This is the Neil Blomkamp Mm -hmm. sci-fi movie. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see this, actually. Mm. What are you thinking on that? Uh, I'm thinking 32. 32, wow. I'm going to say 65 on that. I'm hoping that it's going to be good. I was a huge fan of District 9, not a big fan of Elysium. So he's about at a 50% for me. So I guess Chappie's going to be the deciding factor. We also have Hugh Jackman and a mullet. Yeah, that, that, that was a sweet mullet. And uh, what, what you call it? Diant word is in that too, which is that's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> uh, we have the second best exotic marigold hotel. What's that? Is the worst fucking title I've ever heard. Yeah, I don't know why, but this movie just irritates the shit out of me. Is it? Is it a different hotel? Because I don't. Oh, this is the second best one. 
the first one was the best one. So why do I want to see the yeah, second? Yeah, exactly. Best? That's what I'm saying. Like, why are we going down in quality? Who wants to go down in quality? Exactly. I'm gonna say 62 on this one. I think the first one was pretty well received. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say 54. Okay. And we also have unfinished business. This is the Vince Vaughn comedy. Quote, un- oh, quote unquote comedy because it doesn't look that funny to me except for when uh what's his name gets hit with the dart in the trailer <laughs> and you just see he goes just throw it just the waiting's the worst part he gets hit with a dart oh man i'm gonna say four i will say 15 on that one in limited release next week we have the cobbler <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a real thing Yeesh. that's a real thing the coup I actually don't know about isn't that the co- isn't the cobbler actually by someone yes yeah, uh yeah somebody oh thomas mccarthy what what did they do they did something i don't know i can't remember i'm kidding, I'm kidding. I, I remember we even talked about it on the show before i know oh win-win oh Station yeah, Agent. yeah there we go uh, uh merchants of doubt faults comes out next week so we'll, oh thank god yeah we'll probably be reviewing that on the show <laughs> you're damn right we will be kidnapping mr heineken sure uh october gale a year in champagne buzzard and xy excited for buzzard i'm excited for yes i, I was walking you beat me to it you beat me yeah, to it you dick. i was walking somewhere last night and there was a giant billboard for buzzard up in the city oh, yeah? yeah and i was like wow I can't believe they were able to get that kind of real estate. Is it was it was big, and it was awesome looking too. It was the Freddy Krueger hand. Which, by the way, I just realized that you can watch this now on Voodoo. You can rent it for six ninety nine on Voodoo. Oh, you can get Buzzard now. Buzzard now on Voodoo. Nice. Six ninety nine. Nice. All right. Uh, on VOD next week we have Buzzard, which is apparently available now. Faults, I recommend seeing yes. that. Badasses on the Bayou. That's the third badass movie. That, what, is, what is that? That's the one with Danny it's Trejo, based on a YouTube video. Oh, jeez. Okay. It's terrible. The, I saw the oh. first one. I didn't see the second one. The second one, they added Danny Glover. Uh, okay. They. We also have Kidnapping Mr. Heineken, Two Men in Town. I don't know what that is. A Year in Champagne, XY. These Final Hours, and Hayride 2. Hayride 2, folks. Hayride 2. I never even... Do you hear that? I never even... It sounds like, sounds like Ron was calling you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll get it in just a second. Uh, DVD and Blu-ray next week, we have Black November. Uh, that's the one with uh, like Mickey Rourke and some other... I don't want to say has-been, we... but you know. <laughs> Which is code for terrible. The Captive, which I heard was really bad. That's the one with Ryan Reynolds. Foxcatcher, recommend. Recommend some Foxcatcher. Yeah. For some reason, that one, I actually... I've kind of come, cool ar- come around... No, I've come around... Oh, I no, actually yeah, like okay. it more now. Oh. It, the, the longer that one stuck with me, kind of the more I liked it. I mean, I was okay on it at the beginning, but yeah. Uh, the Humbling. This one with Al Pacino that looks pretty bad. The Last Robin Hood... Uh, I'm not, I can't remember who's in that. Is Kevin Klein in that? 
sounds like something he would yeah. do. Yeah. Let's Kill Ward's Wife and The Hunger Games Mocking Jay Part 1. Do we have any criterions? We have no criterions. No criterions next week, so None. that'll do it. Send us your questions to podcastfilmpulse.net. We'll be sure to answer them on the show. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And be sure to race on iTunes. We appreciate that so very much. For Kevin Rickstraw, my name's Adam Patterson, and we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie.